This path will lead you to an unholy place, a cemetery. Hello everybody, Foggy Jack here, the lost boy, oddball of magic, and the host of the Foggy Jack 13 podcast. I'll meet you down in the pumpkin patch where the haunters meet the haunted. This isn't really my story to tell, but my uncle died recently, and it feels wrong to let his stories die with him. My uncle was a hell of a character, a big drinker, and a captivating storyteller. He barely made it past 60 before the cancer got him, and I'll always miss him. He had an amazingly colourful life. I used to only see him once or twice a year because... He was a crazy traveller, sometimes for work, and sometimes just for fun. I feel like he did more living every year than I've managed in my whole life, even when he was in his 50s. He slowed down a few years back when the cancer took hold, spent most of his time here with us in Australia. He was American by birth, like my mother, But while she fell in love with an Australian journalist and moved to Melbourne, he stayed based in the US for most of his life. I can't keep calling him my uncle, can I? Can't use his real name either, so let's just call him Bob. I smile as I type that. It's an in-joke that I don't think I could possibly explain in the space I have here. Oh, my uncle. What a joker. Anyway... Good old Uncle Bob came out of his early military service with a good record that landed him a good plum job in a US intelligence agency in his early 30s. He told me a few memorable stories from that period in his life, but ingrained habits died hard. He never named the agency and always used nicknames for his colleagues. I've put together some clues and... I think I could take a guess at which agency it was, but I don't really know. Two years ago, when Bob was living with us pretty much full-time, and we all knew that it was now a matter of when rather than if, I came home late one night to find him sitting up alone in the kitchen. He looked so wrong, you know. My Uncle Bob was life distilled into its pure essence, and here was this shrinking husk that barely resembled a man I remembered. He was eating caramel and macadamia ice cream straight out of the tub with a long parfait spoon, and between spoonfuls was sipping the black label Jim Bean he loved so much. I sat with him, not saying anything to start with, and he gave me a sly smile and slid the tub of ice cream across the kitchen table to me, spoon sticking out of it like an antenna. He kept the bottle. A bribe, he said with a wink. Not to mention the bourbon to your mom. I opened my mouth to reply, but everything I could think of to say seemed clumsy and stupid and inappropriate. I put my mouth to better use, eating a spoonful of ice cream and crunching on pieces of macadamia nut. 
Bob gave me a sad grin and shrugged. Don't think it's going to make much difference anyhow, he sighed. This stuff in my lungs is going to take me in its own time, no matter what vices I indulge. There was nothing to say. I nodded sadly and ate another spoonful. I only ever killed one man. The non sequitur was so jarring I almost choked on a nut. I felt a sharp edge of brain freeze coming on, so I swallowed too hastily and nearly choked again. What? I finally sputtered. All those years working for Uncle Sam, I drew my gun a few times. Only ever killed one man though. He sipped some bourbon and stared into the distance over my left shoulder. Of course, I'm not sure he was a man, so maybe the count is zero after all. Wait, I said and stood up. I filled the kettle and put it on to boil, then came back and sat down. There's a story here, and I want to hear it. Another sip of bourbon. There's a story, sure, he said. The weirdest one I've got. You won't believe it, though. I believe all your stories, I protested, then grinned. Even the ones that are obviously a load of crap. Bob laughed and choked on his bourbon. Ha! I'll have you know that every single one of my stories is true. Just sometimes I might colour it in details to make them more interesting. Never told you an outright lie, though. He paused, glass raised halfway to his lips, and cocked his head thoughtfully. At least, I don't think I did. The kettle clicked off and I stood up. Tea? Bob looked at the two-thirds full bottle of bean and raised an eyebrow. Better make it coffee. I busied myself making our drinks and Bob began his story. Here it is as well as I can remember it, in Uncle Bob's own words. It's weird how it started. We got a call that one of our field agents had suffered some kind of breakdown, maybe a psychotic break. He was screaming and ranting and wasn't making a lick of sense. I knew the guy a little. We played poker together a few times, but he wasn't a buddy of mine. Knew his face and his name, and that was about it. Anyway, his boss had given up. Didn't know what to do. So his boss had gotten involved, and so on along the chain. Somewhere along the line, someone mentioned that my boss, let's call him Corky, had some psych training, and maybe he'd like to have a look. I know, I know, should have called a doctor for the poor guy. But you have to understand, the Cold War had only been over for five minutes and old habits around secrecy and keeping things in-house as much as possible really died hard. They would have exhausted every possible internal lead before going to a civilian shrink as a last resort. Corky mentioned it to me, knowing I'd done some psych training in the military, 
I considered priesthood for a time. Don't laugh, I'm serious. And I did some of the chaplain training, which included basic counselling and psych evaluation. And he asked if I wanted to tag along. Nothing was on fire, so I figured, what the hell? This poor guy. Man, he was in a bad state. Like a horror movie brand of crazy. They had him locked up in his supervisor's office, and he was shivering and hyperventilating and biting his nails. His eyes were so wide, like perfectly round, that you could see the whites all the way around. Someone had gotten him out of his work clothes, and he was in some agency embroidered sweats, two sizes too big. He looked like a kid in his dad's clothes. I sat there to observe, and Corky tried to talk to the guy. Mr. Jones, he said gently. Mr. Jones? The guy just sat there, trembling like a chihuahua, and staring wildly into space. Paul? That got a reaction. Mr. Jones leapt to his feet and screamed into Corky's face spacing out each word as a separate phrase. My name is not Paul. Corky raised his hands soothingly. Whoa, whoa, it's okay. What do you want me to call you? The guy panted like a Great Dane, and I thought he was about to shout again. But then he plunked back down onto his chair and looked like he was going to cry. His lower lip trembled, and he whined. I want you to call me by my real name. I could see Corky trying to work out how to approach this. He sat down opposite him, and pulled his chair closer so their knees were almost touching. I'm really sorry he said, sounding genuinely apologetic. I must have been given some bad intel. They told me your name is Paul. I played poker with this guy. His name was definitely Paul. But I didn't say anything. Just left Corky to handle it. The guy's face scrunched up, and I could see a lot of emotions in there. Rage, fear, and grief. Something had messed him up real good. After a long silence, he said softly, barely more than a whisper, Everyone's lying, and I don't know why. Who's lying? Corky asked. Everyone, he replied and his voice slowly increased in volume. There's guys out there I've worked with for ten years, and out of nowhere, everyone starts calling me Paul, like it's a funny joke. But then the nameplate in my office door says Paul, and I check my in-tray, and all my mail is addressed to Paul. Jesus, this has to be some kind of crazy joke. But what if it isn't? I'm going crazy. I must be going crazy. Oh, Jesus, help me. 
This last part was a scream. So loud, I heard the window pane shake in its frame. Hold on, buddy. We can sort this out. Corgi's tone was sensible, conciliatory, absolutely believable. The man had an incredible charisma about him, and he was turning it up to 11 on this guy. I know these guys like a practical joke, but it sounds like this one got out of hand. The guy nodded, looked a little calmer, but there was still panic lurking in his eyes. His arms were crossed in front of his chest, and it looked to me like he was holding himself, comforting himself. I felt for him, but he had clearly snapped. It was all because of that crazy guy in the tenement, so-called Paul said. Corky asked what he meant, and he elaborated. Local cop is a buddy of mine from the army. Said they had this weird guy squatting in a condensed tenement building, and they couldn't start demolishing it until he was out. But for some reason, nobody could get him to budge. Corky nodded, let him keep talking. It's not our jurisdiction, I know. But I figured, hey, let's give him a fright. Show him the big agencies are getting involved. See if we can scare him into moving on. Do a buddy a favor, right? What happened next? Corky asked. I went to see the guy. The building's a wreck, but he's in the basement, and it's set up like a horse boudoir. I don't know how he did it, but it was really plush. Felt like a penthouse in a classy hotel not a basement in a rat-infested hellhole. I can see why he didn't want to leave. So-called Paul stopped for a moment and asked for a glass of water, and I poured some from the pitcher on the desk. He took a big gulp, then continued his story. So there I was, and this guy was obviously nuts. Like, I think he'd banged his head when he was a kid, you know. It wasn't all there. I never really got a chance to get started. Told him my name. My real name, I mean. And he just shook his head and said, No, my name is Paul. I said I was pretty sure I knew my own name. But he just shook his head. Then he said he wasn't moving out and I was wasting my time and he just walked away. He finished his water and placed the glass on the desk with a shaky hand. It was weird, but I just laughed it off. Crazy hobo. He wasn't going to be intimidated though, and like I said, I had no real legal power here, so I just left, came back to the office. That's when I saw that some joker had changed the name tag on my parking space to P. Jones. And then everyone was calling me Paul with a straight face. His lower lip poked out into a childish pout, and I almost laughed out loud at the visual of a grown man pouting. But I managed to keep my practiced poker face. It wasn't funny then. Sure as hell ain't funny now, assholes. 
Sounds like you've had a really hard couple of days, Corgi said with a sugary sincerity. Tell you what, I'll talk to your boss and get this sorted out for you. So-called Paul frowned more deeply and muttered, They won't listen. They're in too deep. Won't back down now. Outside, Corky shook his head and sighed. Massive psychotic breakdown. I'm guessing acute onset paranoid schizophrenia. The agency can't keep this in-house. Paul has to get professional psychiatric care ASAP. As soon as they help him, the better off he'll be. That was that. I thought it was over. Jesus, I wish I was right. Poor Corky. God, I loved that man. Better than a brother. He deserved better. So much better. Two days later was when the wheels came off and the cart spilled everywhere. I came into the office bright and early, and here's Corky, just standing in the corridor, staring at one of the portraits of past presidents that were lined in a row along the wall. I called his name and walked up beside him, but he was muttering to himself. He's a liar, but he's not, he was saying to himself. It's true. Even if it isn't. I asked him what the hell he was talking about and gave his shoulder a little shake. He started violently, like I'd fired a gun behind him. Jesus, Bob, you scared me. I saw his face then, properly, and he was pale and sweating, like he had a fever. He tried to give me a calm, friendly smile, but I wasn't buying it. Still, he waved me off and said he had stuff to do. Back at home, around midnight, I was woken up by the phone. It was Corky, and he sounded bad. His name isn't Paul, he said, without even saying hello. Well, it is now, but it wasn't before. Do you understand? I said no, I didn't understand, and he went on. What happens if a liar isn't a liar? What if everything he says is true, even when it's not? And what if the only person who knows it's a lie is the poor asshole who heard him say it? I was stunned into silence at his crazy rant, but then he got crazier. Bob, do something for me. Tell me all the presidents since Nixon. I started to protest, but he shouted, Please, tell me. Just to humour him, I listed them off. After Nixon, Ford got one term, then Carter got one term, and then Reagan got two. He cut me off and began sobbing. I was shocked. I'd never so much seen him shed a single tear, and here he was blubbering on the phone. I figured he must be really drunk, but again, 
I'd never seen him touch booze. Reagan, he muttered. Reagan. He paused and coughed to clear his throat, then said, sounding calmer, Thanks, Bob. You're a rock. I know you'd never lie to me. There was another long pause, and I was about to ask if he was still there when he continued, sounding determined to get his story out. I went to the tenement, he said. Paul? Well, not Paul, but you know who I mean. He was right. It's like a palace down in the basement. That hobo even has a big screen TV, cable and everything. I wasn't going to try scare him out, you see. I just wanted answers. Thought maybe there was some weird mold growing down there or a gas leak. Something to explain an agent with no history of mental health problems suddenly going nuts. Instead, there's just this slow-talking imbecile in a burgundy bathrobe sitting on a king-size bed and watching the bloody classic movie channel. Corky had a violent coughing fit, and I asked him what was wrong. First cigarette in 24 years, he gasped, needed it, but lost the knack of smoking them. He took a moment to get his breath back, then continued his story. I asked, if he remembered a man in a suit coming to visit him. And he smiled and said, Oh yeah, Paul. The smile looked weird, kind of nasty, like he played a mean joke on someone. I started to ask more questions, but he raised a hand, said he was watching a funny movie. I looked over at the TV, and it's bedtime for Bonzo. You know that stupid old movie about the guy who raises a chimp like it's a kid. So he's got his eyes glued to the screen and won't listen to my questions. I heard the whoosh and crackle of a long drag on a cigarette. Must have been right up next to the mouthpiece. Then this halfwit, he says that guy was president. He talked about that actor, Reagan, and... I burst out laughing. No way a washed-up old actor could be president of the USA, right? Right? Oh, Jesus. It sounded like he was crying, but he pulled himself together and continued. Here's the thing. Until yesterday, Carter got his second term. No, wait, hear me out. He was up against Bush whose main competition for the candidacy was Anderson. Bush ran a terrible campaign, and it ruined his career. Four years later, there was a big, messy fight among the Republicans, and it was Stason who ended up getting the candidacy and beating Mondale. Corky laughed, and it sounded like the croak of a crow. This morning, there I was, walking into work, doing just fine, and here's Ronald Reagan's face hanging on the wall in the corridor of our office. The bloody chimpanzee diaper changer, now the 40th president of the great United States. There was another long silence. 
I'm going to kill him. The hobo, I mean, not Reagan. What he can do would be dangerous, even in responsible hands. But there's something really broken inside of him. Maybe nobody is meant to have a power like this, and it's broken his mind. Maybe he isn't even a man, but something else. Whatever he is, though, I can't let him keep going. I mean, what if he said all nukes had been launched, or the sun had exploded, or... Or... I don't know what the limit is. Maybe there isn't a limit. I have to stop him. Do you understand? I have to. He hung up in my ear. I leapt out of bed, threw on some clothes, grabbed my sidearm, and ran to my car. Corky was a good man. I had to stop him from destroying his career, maybe his whole life, over some brief moment of craziness. I had the address of the tenant in my notebook, so I raced over there, breaking pretty much every traffic regulation it's possible to break in a 20 minute drive. I screeched to a halt right behind Corky's car and stormed into the building. Down in the basement, there's Corky, holding this guy at gunpoint. The basement was really luxurious, but a bit tacky, like a Trump Hotel kind of thing. And here, amid the draperies and lamps, is this small, balding, middle-aged guy in a plush bathrobe with a confused expression on his face, just staring at Corky's gun like he didn't understand what it was. He gave a little frown, like a confused toddler, and said to Corky, You have to go now. There was this... It's hard to describe, but it was like a silent hum vibrating the air. It lasted just a moment. Then Corky said, I have to go. And he just turned and walked out. I asked the old guy what had happened, and he shrugged, sat on the edge of his bed, and turned on the TV. I asked again, and he shushed me. When I pressed him again, he turned to me with a petulant scowl on his face and said, I don't want to talk about Corky anymore. Corky isn't even real. I felt that thrum of power in the air again, and my guts loosened up in fear. The creepy old guy turned his eyes back to the TV, and I ran out into the stairwell, but Corky was already gone. I sprinted up the stairs and out into the street, but his car was no longer parked in front of mine. He had only left the basement a minute before, maybe two but he was already gone. I knew it was stupid, but I started to panic. I jumped into my car and drove over to Corky's house. There was an unfamiliar car in the driveway, some big family station wagon. The mailbox had a name printed on it. It wasn't Corky's name. The impossible 
was starting to look more and more certain, no matter how crazy it seemed. But I had to make absolutely sure. So, I drove to work. I wasn't really meant to be there after hours, but I had a key, so I let myself in. I walked down the corridor, watching those former presidents slide by, but I averted my eyes from Reagan. At the end of the corridor, Corky's office. But it wasn't his office, was it? Technically, I suppose it had never been. Some other guy's name was on the door. Corky's position title was written above it, but a totally different name was underneath. My boss, my friend, had been wiped out of existence by a petulant man-child who just wanted to watch TV. I don't remember much of the next little while, but my next clear memory was me, standing in front of that damned, crumbly old tenement building. I had an idea, you see. I'd made this guy bring Corky back. I'd force him to use whatever godlike power he had and set things right. Next thing I knew, I was creeping into that garish bedroom with my gun out. And there's that slob, passed out, sitting up in bed, light still on, and TV still going. I pointed my gun at him, shouted for him to wake up. He grumbled and mumbled like a three-year-old who doesn't want to get out of bed. But then I fired a shot into the headboard of the bed. That woke him up. What do you want? He mumbled, not appearing frightened at all. I want my friend back, I told him. Corky, bring him back. He rubbed sleep out of the corner of one eye. I told you, Corky isn't real. My temper snapped and I screamed. Then make him real, you sick asshole. The old guy, he looked embarrassed, just for a second. Can't, he stated simply. What do you mean, can't? He shrugged. Already said, he isn't real. No take-backs is. If I did, then I'd be making myself a liar. Either I was lying then, or I'd be lying now. He shrugged again. Can't do it. With horror, I realized what he was saying. Whatever his power was, it meant that he was stating the truth. Anything that wasn't the truth became the truth. But if he had said it, then it was fixed truth. He couldn't contradict himself, because then he'd have to be a liar. I want to sleep. Go away. My grief made me foolhardy. I said no. Suddenly, the childish old man was angry. You shouldn't be here. I don't want you here. I felt the beginning of that weird hum in the air, and the old man began speaking again. 
You're not even a... I fired my gun, hitting him on the side of his chest. His face frozen in a comical mask of surprise. His mouth open in a big O. And just for a second, I thought he looked like an inflatable sex doll. And I almost burst out laughing. Blood was already turning the front of his rich purple bathrobe into a dark burgundy. What? He said, dumbly. He looked down at the spreading blood, then raised his gaze back to me. He looked furious. You didn't shoot me, he declared in a loud, childish voice. That thrumming power again, and the blood in his robe vanished. You didn't shoot me at all. You shot yourself. I didn't give myself time to think. I put a bullet into his face. His jaw exploded, and his once bloody, then clean again robe was once again covered in gore. His eyes widened in shock, and he let out a wordless grunt. His ruined jaw worked up and down, flapping uselessly, and it was clear he was still trying to talk. Shut up! I screamed, and I fired again, putting one through his forehead. I lost control. I fired again and again into his face, his neck, his chest. I emptied my clip into the asshole who killed my best friend. No, worse than killed. Wiped right out. Erased. I'm not going to tell you how I got away with it, but I did. There was a cover-up, the building was torn down, and I never faced so much as a charge for disturbing the peace. It wasn't magic or demonic power or whatever he used, but that weird old man was wiped from history, almost as thoroughly as Corky had been. Uncle Bob's coffee had long gone cold, but he bravely sipped it anyway and pulled a disgusted face. He poured another Jim Bean, took a long swallow to get the taste out of his mouth, then continued his story. Months later, I tried to find out what had happened to Corky, he said. The reality was prosaically simple. The year he was supposed to have been born, his mother had a miscarriage instead. He shrugged and raised his hands. That's it. That's all that needs to change for a great man and a good friend to be removed from history. Gone. Nobody remembers him except me. He sipped more bourbon. I tried to go back to work, but everything was wrong. I kept misdirecting mail and calling people by their wrong titles, and people were noticing that I wasn't on top of my game. Nobody could have known I was grieving the murder of a friend and colleague, all alone. I talked to the bosses, cashed out my entitlements, and left the country. Never settled down anywhere again after that. He rolled his eyes, 
sardonically. Well, until this damn cancer settled me down for good. He drained his glass and put the cap back on the bottle. So that's my story. Call it a load of bull if you want, but I swear every word of it is true. He blinked, stuttered for a moment, then took a deep breath and continued. It's true. All of it. Stretching his arms and yawning, he came to his feet. I really have to get to bed. Thanks for listening. It feels good to finally tell that story to someone. I stood as well and walked over to give him a hug. Bob and I weren't big on hugging, but it felt right. He held me tightly and whispered, I miss Corky. Then he was gone, wandering off to his bedroom. He suffered a stroke a month later and lost most of his ability to speak. He spent the rest of his remaining time in a palliative care ward, and I would sneak in flasks of bean to treat him to little sips. He couldn't thank me, couldn't talk, but I could see the gratefulness in his eyes for that little bit of comfortable familiarity amidst the beeping machines and miles and miles of plastic tubes. I feel like a caretaker now. I'm the only one who knows this story now that Bob is dead. I feel an obligation to keep it alive. So here I am, sharing it with all of you. Thanks for listening. to YouTube and to our Patreon. Hope to see you all next time down in the pumpkin patch. Thank you, goodbye, and blessed be.